The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. second service. How's it going? Long time no see. We missed you guys last week. That was sad, but we're glad that everybody's safe and warm and we got to come together today. We have a very special treat for you. We're taking a break from our compromise series. Pastor Josh wishes that he could be here to introduce his dear friend, Pastor Jelani, but Pastor Josh is home. He's sick in bed with the flu, so be praying for him. Yes, I know, so sad, uh, but be praying for him. And um, we have a, a you, you guys are in for an incredible next 45 minutes. This message is a, I know people throw around that term game changer all the time, but I'm telling you, if you will lean in, Pastor Jelani has an incredible message for you. We go way back. Pastor Jelani and Pastor Josh have uh, been friends for a long time. He's from Gateway Frisco, and um, they worked together in kids ministry. And then he came over to be the associate campus pastor while we were at Gateway. And now he is the campus pastor at Gateway Frisco. And uh, you probably recognize him if you've been here with us for a while. He was our very first guest speaker at, at a new song. And that's a big deal. And, uh, you know, new moms, you know, when you've got like a five-month-old baby, and you leave that baby with a babysitter for the first time, it's a big deal. Uh, we had a five-month-old church, and we were leaving to go on vacation. It's like, who can we trust? Who can we, who can we leave our baby church with? And it was Pastor Jelani. He's always the first on the list when Josh and I get together and say, who do we want to bring in to minister this year at New Song? Uh, Pastor Jelani is always at the top of that list. So you guys are in for a treat. If you would, give him a very warm New Song Church welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, new song. It's an honor to be with you guys this morning. I don't know about you, but I didn't feel like that Sarah had a lot of compassion on Josh when she said <laughs> the flu. Uh, now, I do want to say that I, I love, love Pastor Josh and Sarah. I love your pastors. Uh, it was funny. I was driving here yesterday, and I didn't realize it was a time change. How many of you, you normally come to the 9 o'clock service, but because of the 9 o'clock, okay, uh, the time change, okay, just a couple of people. So, so I appreciate your honesty, brother. Um, so I didn't realize this was the time change weekend, and so I'm driving in, and my wife sends me a text message. She says, Jelani, you know, make sure you, you look at the clock, the time changes. I said, What? Josh did that to me. And and, and so I'm just being honest with you, probably two o'clock this morning, I wake up, I'm turning off my cell phone, turning it back on. Did I miss the hour? Is this really two o'clock or is it not? So anyway, I was stressed out, but I made it. I'm glad to be here. Um, I do absolutely love your pastors. Uh, I have known them really since 2010, but in 2012, uh, I was working at the Southlake campus and then moved to the Frisco campus and started working with Pastor Josh and Sarah. And the reality is, is I had the privilege to be a part of the process as God began to stir their hearts to plant this church. And to see the fruit of your obedience, uh, I admire you. I admire the fact that you guys left what was comfortable to follow the calling of God and people have been tremendously impacted. So can we honor Pastor Josh and Sarah this morning? Amen. Amen. 
Listen, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open it up to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start this morning at verse 25, and we'll jump around in Scripture just a little bit. But we'll begin Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 25. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And uh, I'm about to start really with a description of Adam and Eve and their relationship. This is really what this scripture speaks of. And so Genesis chapter two, verse 25, it begins like this. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked. Everybody say naked. I know you didn't think you were coming to church Sunday morning. Somebody was going to talk about being naked, but welcome to New Song Church if you're a guest. So the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Would you just say no shame? No shame in my game this morning. If you want to flip over now to Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 7, this is after what we call the fall of man, Adam and Eve's sin, and here is their response to that, starting at verse 7. It says, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8 says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I needed to make it deeper just because that sounds more like God, I think. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you? You were naked. The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. Smart, Adam. Smart. Very, very smart. (laughs) She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she says, the devil made me do it. The, The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. That's why I ate it. This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of shame off you. Shame off you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now? Just look him in the eye and say, shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. Why don't you turn to your other neighbor who you obviously don't like as much and and tell them, shame off you too. Shame off you too. Let's, Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you would break shame off of our lives. And right now, we also pray for Pastor Josh. We tell sickness to go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and my, uh, my mother was the worship leader at the small charismatic church that uh, we attended. And so I'll never forget the Sunday when she was playing the keyboard in kind of a spontaneous worship moment. And she uttered eight words that her teenage son never, ever wanted to hear. She says, as she's playing the keys, Jelani, don't you want to dance before the Lord? <laughs> now this is, this is the truth. I'm not making this up. This is In the middle of the service, in front of the congregation, in front of my peers, my mother says, don't you want to dance before the Lord? My response in my heart was no way, not not happening, not today, never, this is not going to, but I grew up where you don't tell your mother no. So the next thing I know, my feet are moving and I am coming down the center aisle to the front of the church. When I get to the front of the church, which by the way, I had hoped God would rapture me on the way, but he didn't. And so as I made it down to the front, she's playing the keys and I just start moving. 
And, and I don't know, you know, it's mid nineties when this is going on. So I don't know if I did the hammer, you know, you remember the hammer or the Carlton back in the day. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I do know at some point I must've started doing my arms like this because my mother started interpreting my dance moves. I could hear her behind me going, pulling down strongholds, pulling down strong. Listen, so, so you, you know, you know how you see something that's so bad and you're so embarrassed for the person that you actually close your eyes. You're like, I, I can't watch this anymore. It was so bad, I closed my eyes. I, I'm up there dancing. I just said, God, I can't take it. I closed my eyes. And here's why I closed my eyes. I closed my eyes because I was so embarrassed. I was so humiliated. I was so ashamed. Now, my wife, my mom and I have, have laughed about this now, and, it, and it's all good, but, but the reality is, for me, it evoked a level of shame. How many of you, if you were really honest today, you've ever wrestled with shame? You know, maybe it's not the same scenario, probably not. Your mom probably didn't call you down to the front and dance in front of church. That probably didn't happen. If she did, talk to me after service, because we could connect, man. We just need that relationship. <laughs> But for some of you today, the shame that you've wrestled with is family shame. You've got the person in the family that nobody can really talk about. You know of the marriage in the family that on the surface looks like it's okay, but underneath everybody knows it's in shambles. You've got the wayward child who's decided to take a different path and it's destroying their lives. And you feel the shame. Maybe, maybe it's not family shame. Maybe it's physical shame. I'm too tall. That's never been my problem, but <laughs> I'm too short. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not fit enough. And every morning you get up and you look in the mirror, it's a reminder of what you're not and their shame. Maybe it's not a family thing. Maybe it's not a physical thing, but, but maybe it's, it's an action thing. You, you said something to her and you wish you could take it back. You did something with him that you wish you'd never done. Or, or, or maybe it's what they said to you or what they did to you and because of this action you find yourself wrestling with shame you know what's interesting about shame uh, there's a, a lady by the name of Brene Brown who is a shame researcher I don't know how a person aspires to be a shame researcher but she is a, a shame researcher and she says she calls it the shame one two threes there's three things about shame that we all need to know number one we all have it Number two, we're all afraid to talk about it. And number three, the less we talk about shame, the more control it has over us. Based on her research, she says, we all have it. We're all afraid to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more control shame has over us. So guess what we're going to do today? We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what shame is. We're going to talk about how shame affects us. We're going to talk about today how we can overcome shame because I believe this morning at the 1045 service, God wants to break shame off of our lives. Do you believe that this morning? 
So let's talk about, let's talk about shame. For us to understand what shame is, you have to go back to the very first time that shame is mentioned in the scriptures. We read it earlier, but that's Genesis chapter two, verse 25. And it is in a description of the relationship between Adam and Eve. And the scripture says this, it says they were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked. Let's talk about being naked for a moment. When the scripture says that they were naked on the, on the surface, in a physical sense, the Bible's saying that they were uncovered. They were unclothed. You guys have been flipping through the books before, especially if you have children like I do. You flip through, and the picture that you see of Adam and Eve, they're always hiding behind a bush. You know that? You know, they're just kind of peeking over. It's because they were naked. They were uncovered and unclothed on the surface. But on a deeper level, what the Bible is actually communicating is that not only were they physically uncovered, they were emotionally, spiritually, and mentally uncovered as well. In other words, they were completely exposed before each other. They were naked. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think just from a literal standpoint, when the Bible says they were naked, and they're playing in a garden, you know, I would think, okay, they were naked and they happened to be cold. That would make sense to me. They were, they were naked and they ran from mosquitoes. I could see that. They were naked and they had a sunburn. Maybe that makes sense. But the scripture says they were naked and they felt no shame. Wow. They felt no shame. It reminds me of my daughter. Her name is Judah. Uh, she actually turns five tomorrow. And um, but probably when she was two or three years old, uh, she, would, she would get out the shower. We'd put a towel around her and we'd say, okay, Judah, go to your room, get your PJs, and then come back into the living room. We'll get you dressed. And so my daughter would go with her towel and she'd go to her room, get her PJs. But then all of a sudden we'd see her, if we were in the living room, we'd see her streaking across the, the room, you know, because she just threw off the towel and she'd take off running. Ah! And, and so, and then she would do this dance. This is this, my, my sister-in-law taught her this song. I can't believe this, but she taught her this song. And so my, my, my daughter would come out, she'd throw off the towel, she's run through and she would start going naked, baby, naked, baby. And so I won't let my sister-in-law come back over our house ever again, but, but she would do that. And, and here's what my daughter felt two, three years old. She's completely naked. And there is absolutely no fear of being judged, criticized, or rejected. That is how Adam and Eve felt. And then all of a sudden, sin enters the picture and everything changes. They feel shame. And here is what shame is. Shame is a feeling of being flawed. That causes us to be fearful of being uncovered, unworthy, and or rejected. Shame is is a feeling of being flawed that causes us to be fearful of being uncovered, unworthy, or rejected. That's what shame is. It's the sense that you and I get that we don't measure up, that, that something's broken, something's wrong with us. And if people really knew, they would reject us. They would push us away. They wouldn't accept us or want us. That's what shame is. 
I can tell you early on in my life when I started to experience shame, I remember there were people that, that really loved me, but they said some things that the enemy really used. You, you see, when I was a kid, I, I made some stupid decisions. Is anybody in here can relate to that? You made some stupid decisions. Maybe some of you are like, I did that yesterday, Jelani. It's not when I was a kid. But, but I can remember I, I made some stupid decisions. And so people that really loved me, they didn't mean it this way, but, but they said some things to me about the stupid decision that I made that all of a sudden the enemy used to bring shame. Because here's what you have to understand. There's a difference between guilt and shame. All right, you have to understand this. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. Guilt says, What I did was bad. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt speaks to an action or an attitude. Shame speaks to our identity. So Jelani makes a decision that wasn't the smartest thing I could do. And all of a sudden, the people around me that love me and care about me They actually say some things and the enemy uses it from Jelani, you made a stupid decision to Jelani, you are stupid. So all of a sudden, as a young boy, I start walking around thinking, I'm stupid. I don't have the mental capacity of my peers. There is something wrong with me. And that is shame. So then the question becomes, how does shame really affect us? How how does it affect us? Well, if you continue to look in the scripture, what you find is that in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, the Bible says that Adam and Eve's response to the shame that they felt was to sow fig leaves together. They decide, we got to fix this problem. We're going to cover ourselves up. Now, in my mind, I think they grabbed poison ivy, okay? I think they grabbed poison ivy. I think they pieced it together and they covered themselves up. So I think they were itching and scratching and everything. And, 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 but, but the bottom line is this. What they did is they said, we have got to do something to cover or conceal or hide the shame that we feel. Because shame always causes us to hide. It always causes us to hide. If you, if you follow the trail of what Adam and Eve have done, listen, they actually hide from three people. First, they hide from each other. That's why they, they sowed fig leaves. Second, they actually hide from God because remember, God shows up and he says, where are you? And Adam and Eve have hidden behind the trees. They're they're hiding from God. But then in the dialogue with God, here's what happens. He says, Adam, what's going on? Adam says, it's her fault. Eve, what's going on? It's, It's the devil's fault. And both of them blame other people, which means there was no responsibility, no ownership. And that is what we call self deception. So they hide from each other. They hide from God. And they hide from themselves. 
Shame always causes us to hide. And I'll tell you, for, for Jelani, if we go back to that same scenario, so I, I start to feel like I'm stupid. So here's how I hid. I decided I can't sit on the front row of anything. Okay, if I go to class, if I go to a seminar, I don't want to sit on the front row because here's what happens. They always call the people up on the front row, right? And as soon as they call me up, they're going to ask me a question. I'm going to go, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I'm done. I literally thought they're going to expose how ignorant I really am. So don't sit on the front row, Jelani. And Jelani, don't raise your hand to ask a question about anything. You know, teachers say there, there are no dumb questions. The only dumb question is the one you don't ask. That's not true, okay? There are dumb questions out there, and I will ask one. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to ask a question. And then I thought, I need to get a Webster's Dictionary and start memorizing vocabulary words. Because if I'm in a conversation with someone, and I can use a big vocabulary word, and they're impressed by my vernacular, they will say, oh, Jelani's intelligent. And all of those things were just a way for me to hide. It was a way for me to hide the fact that I feel stupid. Now, yours may not be stupidity. But listen, I I bet some of you came in today with fig leaves on. I bet you came in hiding. Since some of us hide behind perfection and performance. The reason why we try to be so perfect and the reason why we try to perform so well is because we feel so bad about ourselves. And this is how I hide. Some of us underperform. We underperform because we're afraid that if we don't do it well, we'll be rejected. And so as long as I can underperform, then people won't think anything and I can just hide. Some of us, how many many know people that talk too much? It's like they're just always talking. How many are sitting next to that, but don't you raise your hand? Don't raise your hand. Listen, this isn't always the case, but sometimes the reason why we talk so much is because we think so little about ourselves. Some of us, we know people that don't talk at all. And you know why we don't talk at all? Because we think so little about ourselves. It's actually still a way for us to hide. Some of us, now let's just get real, especially down here in the South, some of us are so religious and pious, and you know why? We think if we read and we pray and we do our devotionals and we evangelize, the reason why we work so hard to be so religious is because we feel so awful about ourselves. And our hope is that, God, if I'm really religious, one day you will say, I accept you. So I work to earn his favor because I feel so unfavored. There's fig leaves. There's fig leaves. That's just what we hide behind. The problem, church, with hiding is that it's difficult to be healed when you hide. It's difficult for you and I to experience the freedom that God wants when we hide behind the trees. Shame always causes us to hide. So then the question becomes, well, well, how do we overcome shame? How, how, how do we move past this in our lives? We didn't read this, but I want to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, because now we get to see God's response in this situation. It says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins 
for Adam and his wife. Now think about this. Up until that point, Adam and Eve had tried to cover their shame. They sewed together fig leaves. And here's the problem with fig leaves. They always die. So you have to sow more and more and more and more and more. In other words, our efforts to cover our own shame don't work. And so here's what God does. God says, this isn't working for you. So I'm going to make a covering for you. That's interesting. He doesn't make a covering from dirt. He doesn't make a covering from tree bark. He makes a covering from animal skin. Guess where he probably had to get animal skin from an animal. Think about it. He could have just spoken covering. And it would have done the trick. But instead, the Bible specifically says that he used animal skin, which leads us to believe, and most theologians think this is what happened. In order for Adam and Eve's shame to be covered, there had to be blood and sacrifice. Something died to cover their shame. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me a whole lot like the gospel. That sounds to me a whole lot like what Jesus did. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, who never missed the mark, who never fell short. He made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. He, he, he made Christ who never sinned, who never did anything wrong. He became a sacrifice for us. He bled and he died. Not only to pay for our sins, but also the consequences of sin, which include shame. So if you and I are going to overcome shame, We have to understand something about what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so I want you to turn to one more passage of scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin at at verse 1, read verse 1 and verse 2. We want to experience freedom from shame. We have to understand the cross. And here's what the scripture says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easily, that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Verse two says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Now listen to this. He endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on here because this is going to lead us really into some practical steps here. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to put down if we want to overcome shame is we have to get naked. Get naked. Somebody said, all right, hold on, hold on, not not in here, Not not right now, not right now. Get naked. In other words, we have to get honest, okay? The writer of Hebrews is describing an incredible event here. 
He talks about this crowd or the New King James Version says this cloud of witnesses. The cloud literally speaks to what we would call when you go to a stadium, the nosebleed section. Okay, so he's saying there's witnesses, there's people of faith in this stadium all the way up to the top. And they're looking at you and I and we're supposed to run this way race. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And God's saying it's time to run. But the writer says there's a problem. You see, there are weights. And there are sins. And every runner knows this. They know if you're going to run a race, here's what you start doing. You you focus on your diet and you focus on exercise because you want to get rid of all the excess weight. Then on the day that you run, you want to be as light as possible. In fact, in this particular culture, I read one theologian. He said they actually ran naked. At minimum, though, they stripped off as much clothing as they possibly could to run this race. The scripture tells us that there are weights and there are sins that hinder us from running the race. At minimum, shame is a weight in your life. It is slowing you down from running the race the way God wants you to. And some of you feel that now. You want to run. You want to go after it. There's a passion in your heart, but you feel this weight holding you down. And the writer says it's time to throw it off, to strip it off, to lay it aside. Here's how you do that. You have to get naked or you have to get honest. You need to get honest with yourself like the prodigal did in Luke 15, he came to himself. You have to get honest with God. God, I need to talk to you about this. And you've got to get honest with other people. Because James chapter 5 verse 16 talks about how we can confess our faults to one another, pray for each other, and we can be healed. We, we are healed in community. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I remember when I decided I've got to get naked, I've got to get honest, I've got to deal with some things in my life. You see, when I was a kid, I told you part of me feeling like I was stupid, but the other part of me, I was abused when I was a kid. And, and that opened the door for some awful things in my life. And I went down this road of making some very poor decisions when it came to immorality and purity. And, and I remember several years back, I'm going... There are issues in my life that I just can't get past. So I remember sitting across from a pastor and I got honest with myself about these issues. I got honest with God about these issues and I got honest with another person. And as I began to pour out my heart, God began to pour in his love And he began to heal me from the shame. The first thing you have to do if you want to overcome shame is you have to be willing to get naked. Here's number two. Get focused. Get focused. The writer says there's a race before us and he says we need to fix our eyes or focus our eyes on Jesus. Now, now you may or may not believe this, but, but I played college football 
and I'm five foot five and three fourths. And so when you tell somebody that, yeah, I had to throw the three fourths in there, you got to take everything you can when you're short, you know? Um, so, so I play college football and, and when people see me, they're like, you play college football. And so then they automatically think, Jelani, you must've been really fast. And I go, no, I wasn't really fast. I was really scared. Okay. Some people run for the end zone. I ran for my life. I knew if they hit me, I was dead. Okay. So, so one of the things they taught me though, in playing football and running the 40 yard dash is they would say, Jelani, listen, you, you have to, when you come out and you start running, you need to pick a point that you're looking at and focus on it. You've got to run to something because if you look to the left or to the right, what happens is you'll start running out the lines. You'll get distracted. Your time will be slower. You won't go as fast as you could if you don't focus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you have to focus on something. And specifically, he says, focus on Jesus. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say focus on yourself. He doesn't say focus on the people around you. Here's why. If you focus on yourself and the people around you, the only thing that you can do is compare. And when you compare, you're either more than, which is pride, or you don't measure up, which is shame. When you look at anything other than Jesus, you are either more than, or you don't measure up. And so he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the initiator. He is the judge. See, I I remember Sarah mentioned that I'm the campus pastor at Frisco and I started off as the associate campus pastor. I remember in that process where my wife and I were praying about, is this the right move for us? Are we supposed to leave Southlake and go to Frisco and be the associate campus pastor? All of a sudden, as we start praying through this, my wife really felt like, Jelani, we're supposed to go. Sometimes your wife, well, actually, I shouldn't say sometimes, most of the time, your wife is probably right, and here's God's <laughs> amen and on the front row. Hey, hey, okay. Um, so my wife feels like, she's like, Jelani, I feel like we're supposed to go, but I wrestled tremendously. And here's why. I hadn't felt this in years, but all of a sudden, I start feeling shame. Sometimes it goes in waves. It's like all of a sudden you start to hear, well, Jelani, if they knew who you really were, if they knew what you did, if they knew what you said, they wouldn't want you to be their pastor. And all of a sudden, all this begins to come up and I'm going, God, I I don't know about this. I I can't, I can't do it. And so I go, I I finally decided, okay, I'm just going to go to the Frisco campus and I'm asking God, God, I need you to speak to me. And in the middle of worship, the Lord leads me to a passage of scripture, something that we probably all heard before. This is Psalm chapter 75. And it talks about how promotion doesn't come from the East or the West or the South, but promotion comes from the Lord. But then here's what the very next verse says. It's Psalm 75 verse seven. And it says, it is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. When I read that verse of scripture, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jelani, who's the judge? You're not the judge. I'm the judge. He said, listen, you're not the judge, Jelani. I'm the judge. 
And I have declared over you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've declared over you that you are my beloved, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are chosen and not forsaken. You're a part of this family. Jelani, you're not the judge. Listen, listen, you know what shame is? It's you in the judgment seat. And you have judged yourself less than, but you today are not the judge. God is the judge and he calls you forgiven and favored and loved. Come on. Do you receive that this morning? That's who you are. And so you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And then here's number three. You get naked, you get focused and you get to the cross. You get to the cross. You see, in our culture, we celebrate the cross. And which we should, man, we have cross necklaces, cross earrings, we have cross tattoos. We celebrate the cross. But in Jesus's culture, you have to understand the cross was not celebrated. The cross was considered a shameful death. Remember, Jesus died in between two criminals. In fact, for the Romans, the Roman execution on the cross was not just about execution. It was about shaming you in the process. I mean, you, you think about this. They beat Jesus, they spat on Jesus, and and which is interesting, just a side note, do you know what spit is? It's what comes out of one person's mouth and sticks to another person. I think the reason why Jesus, on the way to the cross, let them spit on him is because there are some things that are stuck on you. And there's some things that are stuck on you that came from the mouth of somebody else. And Jesus said, you can spit on me too because I need to take that shame. And so on the way to the cross, he's beaten, he's spat on, he's mocked. And then as he's nailed on the cross, here's what we have to understand. We see the pretty pictures where he has kind of the loincloth wrapped around. But historically, when the Romans would execute a man, guess what? He was naked. He was completely uncovered and exposed. So there Jesus is, beaten, spat on, mocked, and completely uncovered. And here's what we have to understand this morning. Jesus died a shameful death so that you and I would not have to live a shameful life. Jesus on the cross said, Father, I will take their shame on me so that I could come on a Sunday morning and declare over you shame off. I want to tell you one last story as we close. I can invite the worship team to come up. My wife, her name is Erin, and she is one of the sweetest people you ever meet. I mean, really, she, she's incredible. But, but I saw another side of her one day. Uh, we were we were in the process of of building a home and we move into the home and and uh, you know sometimes when you get into the home everything's not just right you know there's some things that are missing anybody else ever been there before and so so there were some, a few things that they were supposed to do but they didn't do and I noticed that my wife was very agitated I mean very frustrated 
And so I finally today, I, one day I said, hey, it just, it seems like you're annoyed. You're, 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 you're vexed by what's not happening. Can you tell me what's going on? And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Jelani, she said, Jelani, I paid for a new house and I want what I paid for. Listen, today I feel like Jesus is saying to many of you, I paid for your shame and today I want what I paid for. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to take a moment where you are. As you sit there, I just want to ask you the question that Pastor Josh asks all the time and that is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this message? What's the thing that's standing out? What is, what is God speaking to you? For some of you today, he's speaking to you about the shame. There's been some shame on you because of what some people said to you, because of what some people did to you because of what you said or what you did. I believe that this morning, God wants to break that shame off of you. So here's what I want to do. Nobody looking around, but if you would say, Jelani, that's me this morning. There's some shame on me that I need God to break off. There's nobody looking around, but if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? I just want to pray for you. There's some shame on you that you need God to break off. Father, you see the hands that are up and we simply declare right now in this moment, we give you what you paid for and I speak shame off you. You can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and in a moment, we're going to go into one more worship song. As we worship together, it's also going to be an opportunity for us to pray together. And so if you feel like maybe God, one of the steps that he spoke to you is it's time to get honest. Maybe there's somebody you need to come and talk to about it. Our leaders want to pray with you about that. Maybe it has nothing to do with the message. You're just going through a difficult time in your marriage. You need uh, provision in a certain area. You you need wisdom for a decision. We, We want to pray about that. Or maybe today you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. I talked about what Jesus did for us. He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could spend forever with him. And and maybe today you need to, to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, or maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. When we all stand up in a moment and we go into this worship song, they're going to be, the altar ministry team is going to be up here in the front. You just step out your seat if you have any prayer need at all and you just come down to the front, find a leader and pray with them. We want to pray with you. This is what church is about. And so when I pray, we're all going to stand to our feet. The altar team is going to come forward. And if you have a need, you just come forward and pray. And if not, we're going to enter back into this time of worship. And so, Father, I pray for every person that has a need today that you would give them the courage to come forward and partner with someone to see you do a miracle as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, 
go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.